Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There is a story for everyone here, because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybooks together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. How many of you, my friends, that are listening or watching this right now have a canine pet, a dog that you absolutely love? I myself have a German Shepherd named Alita Joy Phantom, and she is honestly a character in of of herself, really. And I have shared with a couple of my guests some of the funny stories about her, and uh, honestly, any excuse for me to bring up my dog, I will jump at the opportunity because uh, I'm a huge, huge lover of animals in general, but more so dogs. And if you do know what I'm talking about, then I feel like you are going to love this conversation. And if you're an animal lover, I'm sure you'll love it just the same as well. But I have two incredible human beings. Their names are Rodney Habib and Dr. Karen Becker. Now, if you don't know who, who these people are, I'll read out their bios and share uh, for you guys what they are doing in the incredible world that we are living in today and making it a much better place for you and for your animal. Rodney Habib is a digital artist, filmmaker, multiple award-winning content creator, and the founder of Planet Pause, the world's largest pet health page on Facebook. Imagine having that on your resume. And most importantly, he's a pet parent. Rodney established a non-for-profit organization, Pause for Change Foundation, to further education and research in the area of animal nutrition and lifestyle as it relates to longevity and health span. Rodney's first TEDx talk on pet health uh, stands as the highest viewed TED talk in history pertaining to dogs. He he was recently honored by the Canadian government as having one of the most influential platforms in Canada. Once again, what a resume, right? Now, Dr. Karen uh, Becker has a deliberate common sense approach to creating vibrant health for companion animals. She has been embraced by millions of pet lovers around the world, making her the most followed vet on social media. She has spent her career as a small animal clinician, empowering animal guardians to make international lifestyle decisions to enhance the well-being of their animals. Dr. Becker also writes and lectures extensively and serves as a wellness consult 
uh, for a variety of health-orientated organizations. She is the first veterinarian to give a TEDx talk on species-appropriate nutrition, which has been a lifelong passion of hers. And these two amazing people have got a new book coming out on October uh, October 12th, which you can go and pre-order a copy of right now. So the book is called The Forever Dog is a path-breaking guide to teach us how to delay aging and provide a long, happy, healthy life for our beloved canine companions. Dogs have been getting sicker and dying prematurely over the past few decades, which is really, really sad, from the same chronic diseases that inflict humans. Because our pets can't make health and lifestyle decisions for themselves. It's up to us as the pet parents to make smart, science-backed choices for lasting vitality and health of our, for our pets. And I, I, to be honest with you, this is a great, great conversation. It's definitely going to go down in history as one of my favorites. Honestly, it's, uh, it was a great excuse for me to just talk about dogs for the entire time and learn so much information that I myself had no idea about in terms of taking care of my dog. So um, the, the moment this conversation ended, I went out, gave my dog Alita a massive hug and kiss. Yes, I kissed my dog. Sue me. No, I'm just kidding. But it was honestly... Such a awe-inspiring and well-informed conversation that I, I know you guys, if you are pet lovers out there, are going to learn so much from. Do the amazing and wise thing by supporting uh, Dr. Karen Becker and Rodney by getting a copy of their book. I highly guarantee you this book is going to literally radically transform uh, so many different owners' mindsets around how to uh, take care of their own animal. Um, so it, all the links are available in the show notes below. Uh, so don't forget to go and get a copy as well. Share this, uh, share this episode around, make it go crazy. The, the book is called the forever dog. And trust me, if you don't even have a dog, you're going to want to buy the book just for the cover alone. That's just me saying that, uh, because it's honestly amazing. But anyway, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time for us to journey into this story box together and listen, learn, grow from the incredible wisdom and the stories from none other than Dr. Karen Becker and Rodney Habib. Thank you. So wonderful to be here. Thanks so much for having us. Yes. Like I said, and I know we were talking a little bit earlier about your pup. It's always exciting, man, when you can talk about your dog. Like I just find like that is the most common through line for having conversations with people that you just first meet is just talking about your dogs. Isn't it just an awesome feeling? Uh, tell me about it. And you know what? I don't get to talk about my my dog enough on, on the show. Sometimes I'll try and weave her in just out of it, out of an excuse. Like I'll just put her in there and say, here's a story from her just so I can talk about it. Like it, it breaks down barriers, man. I find that that really, really works. <laughs> so, but it, it's great to have you both here. Um, I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to hearing both of your story and like we, like I we was saying before, we were just chatting earlier a little bit about um, where you, you were from, what you're doing in the world, your book. So um, my first question to you both, though, is what does success look like for you? You go ahead. You go first. You me, I mean, no question impact. So when, you know, when we are 
trying to relay heavy science back to pet parents, right? And ultimately that goal that we all want to have our pets be with us forever. Um, it's impact. How can we put out the message that we know that it can impact that pet parent so when they know better, they can do better. So for me, hands down, it would be, I would define my success in life. I don't care if I stay broke my entire life, if I make a single penny, if I can put a small dent on the planet with just information, with just citizen science, um, that's how I, that's how I would look at success. How about you? And for me, it is how many, uh, animals can I save and save in a variety of different ways. If I can, if it's directly as me being a doctor to a patient, if it's my passion, which is wildlife rehabilitation, fixing broken animals that, that aren't owned, they don't have a guardian that will take them to the doctor. Um, if it's the people on the street, if it's a child that needs help, if how many things can I help mm. or, support or love that ultimately could help them, that is how I would define success. Mm. We'll stay with you for a moment, Karen. I just want to ask you, when was the moment that you realized this was in fact success? Or when was the moment that you you knew that this was something that you wanted to do for the rest of your life? So I was born with that with an overwhelming desire in my soul to save things and fix things. Like burning desire. So my mother tells me I was between two and three when I first rescued worms that came out because of a, a rainstorm and I needed to save them. And thank goodness I had parents that fostered that. So I grew up in a very supportive, empathetic home, which I realize now is a massive blessing. But I also realized I did some DNA testing and realized that I have an the OXTR genes, which is double dominant homozygous empathy. So I'm genetically programmed to have a compulsion to rescue and save things because I'm a double empath. So I think I'm nicely lined up with the career of being an animal doctor because they have I have the ability and the knowledge to be able to save things. And so I recognized from my very first moment, I see something that needs help and uh, it's, a, it's an autonomic response in me to try and help. So mm. my whole life, yeah, it's just, it's what I do. It's I why I'm here. I want to come back to that, which is amazing. I'll come back to that in just a moment. How about for you, Rodney? How did this all, how did this journey start for you? I Well, of course, I'm your quintessential pet parent. So I think if you were to sit down, Jay, and talk to any pet parent that's uh, gone through the series that I've gone through, you know, it's first you don't know, you know, uh, your typical pet parent who watches commercials, who just thinks, you know, this is the way that dogs should be. This is what I should be purchasing. This is what I should be giving my dog. Then going through all those series of mistakes, right? And then slowly watching your dog deteriorate at such a young age and realizing, holy smokes, man, I like, you know, Mm -hmm. This package that I bought promised me this was going to happen and promised you this was going to happen. None of these things are happening. Um, and then slowly starting to do research. So it took that piano falling from 10,000 feet in the sky to hit you in the head to make you say, maybe I should really look into what I'm putting inside, you know, my dog system and so on and so forth. And so those aha moments for me were life changing. It made me drop everything I was doing, switch my career path and just, you know, that desire in that burned inside of me that, you know, I had to fix what I did with my dog. And so I would take to social media and try to try to do right uh, by her. Um, so that I would say that, that is really my, my driver and what got me going. Did you both, when you first started out, especially in the space of social media, and I think there's a lot of people out there that do love and they have pets, they do love animals, that sort of thing. Did you find it difficult to get your message across or was it sort of more seamless and easier? Mm. I, I still find it difficult to get my message across and mm. partly because 
I am I am a proactive wellness doctor, mm. which the the system in the world is not yet there. So we're still functioning off a system of reactive disease models. So we're waiting until our beloveds get sick or our bodies get sick, and then we're trying to play catch up. And that is not the type of medicine I practice. So because I'm literally preaching a different message, I still have an uphill battle. When I tell my beautiful collection of people that have committed or are interested or even suspiciously, curiously following me that, you know, food is medicine or that animals in our homes, their well-being is up to our care. We have to make excellent decisions because we're literally holding them captive. Yeah. I think the biggest response that I've gotten from my audience is, well, you need to tell me what to do. Like people don't feel the need to know what to do themselves, that it's my job to do it for them. And I just have a different perspective where I want to empower guardians to have the knowledge, to know that they're making good decisions. I don't want them. I I'm thankful that they believe me, but I want them to know in their heart that what they're doing is correct. And there's a paradigm shift that still needs to happen for that to be able to be flawless and easy, at least from my perspective. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think getting the message across in anything, in any type of system in the world can be challenging. There's so much noise out there today, right? I mean, Jay, you probably know it very well, right? You do, you could have a seamless podcast and then you could have a fiery or controversial host. It's going to reflect back on you. And then, you know, like, okay, man, I was, you know, don't shoot the messenger sort of situation. So there will always be those challenges. I know in the pet space, um, one of the most difficult things is, is that you're, you know, you're really pitted up against a lot of corporate pressure, right? And corporate messaging, right? So in the pet space, I'm like the human space, really the studies and, and the funding, it's going to come from big pet food manufacturers, right? Mm -hmm. And those big high tiered pet food manufacturers, like I think the top two in the world would be Mars, the chocolate bar manufacturer. And then you've got Nestle, the other chocolate bar manufacturer, they make trillions of dollars. So a lot of that funding will go into their pet foods and the science that's, that's put out there. It's, you know, it has blinders on it. So it's only, it only goes one way. So when you try to come out and you try to defend the little guy, like the carrot, yeah, it, it can be, it can be extremely challenging, but mm. I think that's what drives a lot of us in, in this world. When you want to relay a message is that, are you willing, do you want to take the challenge on and are you comfortable being uncomfortable? Mm. Or can you just not, not say it? I think for me, even if no one was listening, I'd still be saying it because it's in me. Like, this is just what I believe. And I feel compelled uh, to share people what I have experienced that can dramatically shift health in the right direction. So whether anyone was listening or no one or everyone, I would still, or whether I'm being wildly attacked or wildly popular, nothing would shift the message because it's just what I believe. Is it because of your, I guess you could say, what you, what you were alluding to before, how you grew up with that empathetic, em empathetic uh, heart towards animals and things, just in general, wanting to save it, is that going back to that, is that enough for you to keep you going and, and spurring you forward despite the challenges that come your way? It, it is, but thank goodness, thank God, I grew up in a really proactive, wildly healthy home because that's the magic duo. If I grew up in a reactive disease-based model home, that is, I think, the definition of burnout in my profession. And I don't know if you know this, but veterinarians have the highest rate of suicide. And I think part of it is, Many doctors, uh, of course, went into this 
loving animals as much as I do. And, but they weren't necessarily given a toolbox or a system of learning or additional ability to gain a proactive stance to be able to learn how to prevent disease from occurring. So they're still only treating disease versus preventing disease from occurring. And the reason I will never burn out is that I've changed my entire mindset, how I practice, what I believe, what I think to prevent disease from occurring. And that has made me not just wildly inspired, but a highly effective veterinarian. So plenty of fuel to keep going until I can't. Yeah. How about for you, Rodney? What keeps you going? Gosh, um, my dogs. Mm-hmm. Easy. Hands down, right? Hands down. That's a lot of that. That's where my fuel comes from. That's my driver. Um, you know, the the anxiety that I have at night that I'm sure I can share with any pet parent in the world of we all think about it, right? You're in the park, you're walking your dog and you just think, man, gosh, that day, you know, you try not to think about it, but it's going to loom in your head somewhere. God, that day is going to be the worst day in the entire world, right? So my anxiety, my paranoia that keeps me up at nights is like, what can I do? What, what scientist can I go visit? What lab can I go to where I can learn something and then implement that here at home, but then also turn around and share it with, you know, millions of other pet parents that they can implement it as well. So that my dogs are hands down, you know, my driver and, um, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, I guess, I guess it's definitely what keeps driving me. Especially when you have those down days, I've noticed like when I have any down day in my life, I've noticed that my dog is looking at her. It'll put a smile on my face. And one of the reasons why we named my German Shepherd Alita Joy was because before Alita Joy, we had another dog, another German Shepherd, we actually named Joy. And she just brought this incredible sense of joy to the family that you just felt it. Wherever you where anywhere in, in the house, wherever she was, you just felt that incredible sense of joy and peace and happiness at at the same time, just because she was there. And then when we lost her and in, uh, in January of 2019, I felt like the joy just dissipated. Like it just went because she went too and I was lost. And then Alita came around and I don't know if you know, uh, the, the meaning behind the, the name Alita, but it means little winged one in Spanish. Mm. And basically she was like this hype of joy (laughs) that was just like floating around all the time, just bringing that back to what we had lost. So I completely understand that, that meaning that spurs you on, man, despite the challenges, you could go back to them. But I think Karen, you, you brought up something that was very interesting there about how the big giants in the food industry and they're making millions of dollars. How can we go about changing the education for a lot of people around what we feed our dogs, how we take care of our dogs better. And so we just don't keep feeding the the corporate uh, entity and, and feeding their pockets because I feel like that's what a lot of people are doing and they're none the wiser. Yeah. Well, what Rodney and I, part of the reason that we came together and even met each other, I don't know, seven years ago now, is we recognize that this shift is going to come from the ground up, Mm -hmm. that 
the top five five pet food manufacturers worldwide control what 85% of the industry yeah. and the food-based dollars, we're probably not going to change that. What we have to do is to bring common sense correlations to the millions of pet parents that will understand when we say, you never give your kid fast food from birth till death. Why are you doing it to your dog? And the entire world says, yeah. It didn't think about it that way. And so what, what we have done is to try and rally the ground force troops, which are the wildly passionate pet parents that either want to have a conversation, lost a dog from traumatic, not knowing enough, which you only do that once before the guilt and the trauma of saying, I wish I would have known better. That will only happen once. Those are our people. And we have gathered thousands, millions of people into a tribe that want to no more. And so we're working the system in reverse from the ground up. Yeah. And education has a lot to do with it too, right? I mean, like when you don't know what you're looking at, right? Or what is the perception of food? It, it, this is, is very challenging for a lot of people, right? When we're, when we grow up as children, there's actually a study in the UK that they had done where they were showing a bunch of kids in grade primary, very famous study where they're holding up like hamburgers and they were holding up fries and all the kids could peg those out within a second, right? And then they put all vegetables and so on and so forth. And the kids had struggled to try to pick what those vegetables were. In amongst those slides was dog food. They actually had a bowl of dried little round pellets in a bowl. And all the kids knew that that was pet food, either a cat or it was dog food. That perception holds true until today. So when you turn around and you start trying to say to somebody, hey, you know, there's um, a study that just came out that talks about potential toxins and mold in your kibble and adding like an apiaceous vegetable like a carrot in there could help detox some of those molds well you get somebody looks at you like you've got three heads and like you can you can put a carrot in there like won't isn't that carrot going to make it bad am i not just supposed to feed my dog food and if i go to human food i could be causing issues and trauma and problems right so we literally have to spend the first part in the education process of okay we've got to dial this back a little bit and try to break down what is the perception of food when it comes to the dog food industry and then trying to teach people what goes into some of those ingredients because yes as you alluded to how do you sway people away from you know looking at some of these big manufacturers and the foods they do well when you start breaking down what's on those labels jay mm -hmm. that's where people really have these crazy aha moments when you open up these bags of these uh, dried packaged products that you can buy in the grocery store and you have six colors and the perception, remember we were talking about perception, you see green, you see orange, you see red. Well, green is supposed to resemble the vegetable. So they'll put the green drop of that round pellet right beside broccoli and so, and the orange will be right by the carrot. When you start telling people, hey man, all those pellets are the same, that's, you're looking at red dye number 40, yellow dye number five, you're looking at a blue dye. Those are just colors, right? When you start breaking things like that and people can look at labels and decipher labels, that's where they have that huge aha moment. Because mm -hmm. yeah, I, I totally understand that because um, our very first German Shepherd, she ended up passing away because of bloat. And it was because we, we found out that it was the, the pellets had expanded in her stomach and it, it just she ended up having a heart attack on, on the operating table. But for the most part, it was the food that caused that to happen because her stomach wouldn't digest it properly and it, it twisted her twisted. stomach. And it was just like, we didn't know that. And no one uh, cared to tell us. <laughs> so yeah. like we, I, I think you guys are doing an amazing thing with actually showing people that food is important for your pet. If you want it to live a longer and healthier life. And we've noticed that with 
our our German Shepherd at the moment. We it costs a lot more, but mm-hmm. to be honest with you, it is is totally worth it in, at the end of the day. So, yeah. Well, and you know, even nourishing our own bodies costs mm-hmm. a lot more. It's it's actually the cheapest way to feed your family is the dollar menu. It's not yep. the healthiest way to feed your family, but it's hands down way cheaper than organic produce. Like yeah. organic apples are three times the cost of anything on a dollar menu. And it's wildly frustrating. Nourishing healthy foods for animals are wildly expensive because pet food, dog food, and cat food are feed grade. It's all leftover material that's been rejected by the human food industry that goes into pet food. So of course it's cheap. I think you had a stat last year that in the U S the average consumer spent $19 a month on on $19. Yeah. Like $20. I think it was like almost almost $20 a month. The average American spend for a dog. In fact, cats were a little bit more $21 a month for a cat. But if you think about it, my gosh, that's not, you can't really get a lot today for $20, especially to feed your animals. So those are the, as Dr. Karen Becker alluded to, those feed grades, you know, it's really interesting. We have a a really, really good friend who's um, an incredible writer. And she highlights the fact that if you think about it logically, if you look at a horse, a chicken, a pig, the dog and the cat are in those categories, but it's the only category in the world where it's not labeled horse feed, chicken feed, pig feed, and then you get to dog and cat, it's food, right? It's flipped, right? The marketing has flipped it to give you the perception that, you know, what you're looking at is food, but only in those, in that small bracket of animal, do they start manipulating and playing with those words? So you gotta be very careful. But the frustration, just going back to your dog that had GDV, gastrodilatation volvulus, this medical term, a twisted stomach, which is fatal in many most cases. We, early intervention, if you know, and if you can go to surgery, maybe, but it's a wildly traumatic way to lose a dog. And I'm terribly sorry you had to go through that. It's wildly frustrating to me as a proactive wellness veterinarian to know that every veterinary school around the world is partnered with, they have a contract, a relation, a professional relationship with these top five food companies, which means those companies, which have far more money than the veterinary school themselves, are funding the nutrition programs in vet school. So veterinarians are graduating only learning about the benefits of ultra processed foods from birth till death. And although that is one way to nourish an animal, there are other options that, of course, will never be discussed in veterinary schools because it doesn't fall under the best interest of those professional relationships that the veterinary schools have for, have forged with the companies funding the schools. Mm-hmm. So by default, you have veterinarians graduating who don't know anything about other systems of feeding. At most, they're told that it's bad and wrong to introduce any other living foods to dogs or cats. It could be risky, potentially toxic. The side effects are monumental. Just don't do it. So vet students don't graduate with amazing knowledge about anything other than feed an ultra processed diet from birth till death. They're not able to carry on a conversation beyond that other than to get maybe a little defensive and tell you to please don't do it because you're probably going to do it wrong. Yeah. So that's what we're up against. And it's a lot. Well, and they're also just, and they're also funneled Jay from not when they get out of school, then they go and they start working at the clinic. Yeah. Well, the clinic too is owned by the large pet food company. So the pet food company not only has influence within the school, they own the clinics. Mm-hmm. And not only do they own the clinics, but now buying the labs where you're going to do a lot of your testing as a veterinarian. So when you have this giant funnel, like this force shield of hub, your information is going to be all, you know, 
pigeonholed in an area and then you can stay true to that information and anything any type of noise that's coming in from the outside can be easily sheltered right so it makes it very challenging you know it's it's one of the professions where typically and i know there'd be a lot of pushback on this and i know a lot of people would argue but you know when you go to your family doctor your family doctor isn't really pushing processed food right he sure they may not get into like a whole nutrition regime with you but the basics, the basics, a good doctor may say to you, hey, you might want to slow down on, on that processed food. But in Dr. Karen Becker's profession, you're told to feed processed food, and right? Only, like and only, like anything else processed food. dangerous. Yeah, so you, you go to your refrigerator and you start pulling up things that are fresh out there. It's cautioned, right? Well, you could get GI upset. You could get all these issues. So stick to the processed food because it's science, right? And that becomes a huge challenge when you take that word science and you start sticking it on the packages, consumers don't know what to do at that point, right? They yeah. just- There's a lot of confusion it, it, lots of and confusion. a lot of fear. There, we have a tremendous amount of food fear yeah. in small animal well-being. There's just a lot of fears circulating. So yeah. that is kind of our mission in, in writing this book is to help reduce food fear, go to the scientists who are doing longevity research. And here's what's cool. Right before we started, we talked a little bit about how dogs open doors, dogs reduce fear. Dogs are amazing. Every, you know, it's hard to not yeah. love dogs. And what we found are these amazing top tier scientists. Rodney said, I don't know if they're, you know, he just won a Nobel Prize. I don't know if he's going to talk, talk to us. And I said, you wait, we're going to ask him about dogs. And do you know that every scientist we contacted, Jay said, you guys are writing about dogs. Come on into the lab. It was a passport. It yeah, was literally it was. the dog passport can get you anywhere. You know, I, I remember like at that time I was like David Sinclair, you know, he yes. just come up with his lifespan book. Yeah. Time magazine's 100 of the most influential, influential scientists in the world. And I was like, we got to get, we got to talk to Dr. And David Sinclair. I, and I thought we're not getting him. We're not getting him. He's like, here's my cell number. Call me. I'm like, yeah, they and they just spent like literally the first 30 minutes talking about their dogs, yeah. right? It's just we've had that experience in so yeah. many different labs. It's like the the you know that magical feeling, right, that you had with Alita Joy where she just came in and just shifted everything you after you you were going through terrible depression. That feeling, man, that feeling is passed through with us into these labs. Like the second that you bring up a dog and a scientist has the opportunity to stop and talk about his dog for like an hour while dishing out gems and dropping diamonds of information it's they'll it's take that just, opportunity it's, but it's magic jay yeah. that us collecting information from yeah. the most brilliant researchers and, and scientists around the world but having this beautiful opportunity to see their human side of being dog dads and you know dog moms and just getting all gushy and warm of when they're talking about their animals so amazing but then the coolest part we asked them at the end of the interview what do you feed your dog and that yeah. was pretty impressive. You, we could see them stop and say, I never thought about it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I yeah. didn't connect the dots till right now. So some of our, some of these top scientists are, have emailed me repeatedly saying, when is it coming out? When is it like, they're anxious for the book because even I, I think as society, well-loved dogs their owners have been so brainwashed into just doing what their vet tells them to do that they have never given themselves permission to think outside the box. And this book not only encourages you to become your own dog's advocate, but it gives you the science to feel confident doing it. Mm. 
I want to get, that's all amazing. Uh, and I'm excited to dive further into it, but I want to give the audience a little bit of context first around how you two met and then how you decided to actually write this book in the first place. It's called Forever Dog, which, and if people want to go and see the cover, I love the cover. Like my goodness, if, if I was to pick up a book, apart from not, not, if I wasn't a dog lover, I'd pick up the, the book just because it looks amazing. So, um, how did you both meet? What's the story behind that? And then whose idea was it to write this book in the first place? Was it both of your ideas? Yeah, that, that you, you, this is good because it really was Rodney. We met because of you. Well, we, yeah, we, um, so first and foremost, I mean, I have been just such a massive fan of Dr. Karen Becker. Like you said, like in the beginning of the podcast, most followed vet in the world. When I was trying to collect my information, you know, when I was this young blogger trying to collect all of this data and then try to bring it out into the real world, she was um, such a, like, I don't want to use pioneer. That's going to make you sound like you're 5,000 years old, but she's just, she's just like the leader of her, the icon in, in, you know, in, in the pet space. Well, so when I talk about things no one else will talk about. Well, absolutely. That's, it was huge. That's, yeah. That's there, there's so many topics is. out there, yeah. Jay, that are so taboo that are, they're very hard to talk about. Yeah. Like it's, 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 it's a space where, you know, you've got to be very careful because there's things in the human space that are very convoluted that if you bring them over into the dog space, you can get labeled very quickly. Yep. And so Dr. Karen Becker was always talking about things that nobody else talked about, just those uncomfortable conversations about, hey, you know, if you want your pet to live a long time, you've got to th- look at A, B, C, D, and E. Long story short, when, you know, we we met on lecture sh- circuits. So in Australia in 2015, I believe, where we lectured in the uh, Melbourne Exhibition Center, that was our first place that we, we lectured together. together. And yeah. then we started to bump into all of, you know, all of these uh, different lecture circuits. And I would tell her, you know, I've been such a massive fan of your work. More importantly, like she like literally this woman, the to, to just to get out into the world and say the things on such a large stage and to be able to have the confidence and know, know the attacks that are going to come your way, right? Like know that you're going to blow up and break the comment section. And I mean, you know, she gets tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of comments on her posts. It's like a lot of people shut down a lot of angry people and a lot of angry people because once you challenge somebody's belief system, that is never a good thing, right? You, you're going to challenge my personal truth. You're going to feel probably my wrath at the end of it. And especially with pet parents, nobody wants to feel like they're a bad pet parent. So you've got to be very careful when you're trying to relay this information. So when we, we met up and we started to team up, you know, it was basically take, trying to take like a creator's brain and then try to take all of the knowledge, all of the science, all of the work she's done, and then take, take the information, package it up for multiple generations, Gen Z, Gen Y, you know, Gen X, um, all the different level baby boomers and try to package that information to talk to as many people as we can. And, and when we teamed up, literally things started to change. We got close, almost a billion views worldwide with our content when we teamed up years ago. And then well, from and there. It, well, it helped. I can barely email. Like <laughs> I am old. I blame it on the fact that I think that it was the year, like whatever, when it like 19... 19- 89 when I graduated from high school, like that year before is when they started teaching computer science. Well, or the year after, I'm sorry. And I just missed it. So (laughs) he, however, watches YouTube videos and knows how to work, how to make movies really well. So what was really inspirational for me, um, I mostly talk about topics that I have made mistakes 
uh, mm. in not only my life, but as a veterinarian. So I mostly talk about my mistakes and it's painful. But if I can share the mistakes I've made, like neutering all my patients when they were babies and vaccinating my dog to death and um, feeding ultra processed food and killing many of my beloved animals, it, those are tough topics for me. But out, out of me being able to be honest in my learning curve, I can help others not make the same mistakes. He can put graphics to that information. And I think that that is that has made a very powerful combination for us to reach more people. And mm -hmm. so HarperCollins, our book publisher, approached us in 2017 and said, you are making waves and you're talking about topics that we're very interested in. Would you be interested in combining the information? We see that you're going to scientists. Would you be interested in putting it all in a book? And so mm -hmm. that was the beginning of it. And it didn't go as easy as, as just that because we... I know that I, I bowed out many times. I was like, listen, man, I like, I'll, I'll rather make the viral video. I don't know about writing this book. We were on the fence. Um, and then in early 2016, 2017, Jay, we filmed a documentary called the dog cancer series. Um, the pandemic of cancer in the canine world is unbelievable. Um, I was honored. I was invited to do uh, two TEDx talks and the, the first one that I did, um, I brought out a lot of cancer research because there was, I, I was talking to a lot of PhDs about it. And one scientist, Carol Bouchot was able to show the correlation. Uh, she took all the, all the mammals, excluding lab rats, mind you, and showed that the dogs had the most amount of cancer of any mammal on the planet. Right. And so that was eye opening for a lot of people, but to, to watch those cancer rates, right. There's a lot of debate in the human world, uh, in the vet space, are we seeing more cancer because diagnostic tools are changing? Yes, of course. We now can see things that we couldn't see before. There's no question. But we also are seeing a ton of cancer in like younger dogs, like dogs that shouldn't be getting cancer around two, three or four, right? It's these unknowing things in the environment that can damage these pets. And so when that documentary came out and it was seen by tens of millions of people, um, that's when the publishing houses were like, hey, you guys got to try to compute all of this data, you've got to take what you've learned here in this space, what you've learned over in this space, which by the way, we have a huge passion for interviewing the longest lived pets in the yeah. world and what those owners did to achieve those unbelievable feats and then go back to longevity sciences and blend that together to try to pull information and tease it out of it and put it into a book that could be like a blueprint for pet parents on if you have all of this information, from longevity science, from the longest lived scientists in the world, from up-to-date, surprising, cutting-edge science, and we could bundle it all for you so you could start implementing these small steps. Could we put a small dent on the planet where we can up the longevity, we can up the, the overall lifespan of dogs? Because today, if you look at the data, the last thing that Banfield posted was that the average, if you took all the dogs, the median lifespan is only 11 years. That's not a long time, man. Do you talk to any pet owner? That is not enough time to be with your dog. Meanwhile, in the human realms, we're fighting to live to be 150, right? And everyone's trying to compete with each other on how we can biohack our bodies and get to 150. Well, what can we do with dogs yeah. to keep them with us into their 30s like some of these long-lived dogs are living to? Well, and not just – dogs' lifespans are frighteningly short, yes. But in addition to that, I was taught in veterinary school that it's totally normal to expect the body to break midlife. So between that five and seven years of age, your dog is going to naturally degenerate, get kidney disease, heart disease, obesity, cancer. They're going to get some, you know, this is a natural process. They're probably going to get arthritis and degenerative joint disease. They're going to be loaded with all sorts of plaque and tartar. They will develop cataracts and then they'll die a painful death. And it was like, 
I don't agree with this. And I also don't agree that we have to accept this. So part of why we decided to write this book was, yes, we did dog cancer series, but out of dog cancer series, about a year after we published this, um, Rodney made the six hour amazing documentary interviewing the top anti-cancer specialists around the world. We got the stats back from the people that ordered and watched this documentary. And do you know, Jay, that there, we had more people watch this six yeah. hour documentary who didn't have cancer in their dogs. They watched the documentary because they didn't want cancer. It gives me goosebumps. And I was like, you know what? These are my people. We, yeah, of course we wanted to provide a tool for the people that were heartbroken and recognizing like when you get that diagnosis of cancer, you feel like you have been hit by a freight train. You're paralyzed. And we wanted to give people a gift that they can sit down, do some deep breathing and be like, okay, I have a plan. We did that. What we didn't know is that more people who whose dogs didn't have cancer watched it because they were desperate to prevent it. And that's when we knew that the time was right to maybe, maybe, maybe do a proactive blueprint on how to prevent the body from breaking. And so we're like, listen, we already know the anti-cancer specialists. They know the longevity experts. Could you please send an email and introduce us? And they did. This is amazing. And, and it's making me even more excited to get the book officially and, and read it. Um, Wow. And I think I saw a post that it was, I think it was from you, Dr. Karen, um, saying that one publisher rejected you yeah. and before HarperCollins, which is an inspiring story in of itself. Are you able to share that before I ask you some scientific questions, if that's okay? Yeah, actually, Rodney made that post. And I oh. actually, we actually, we actually were rejected by more than one publisher. Wow. And some of the stories were kind of the, the one that most struck me, we have not posted about yet. The, the one publisher, sure. We didn't start with HarperCollins. We actually solicited the manuscript to a couple different publishers. And the one that was most shocking to me was the woman that said, you know, Han, I think that this would make a nice coffee table book, but no one's really going to care about making their dogs live longer. So I think we're going to pass. And I, I like had to, I had to do breathe. deep breathing. And yes, <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah. well, maybe you've never owned a dog. And indeed she was not a dog lover. So we were pitching a book to a woman who had never owned a dog. And I realized you are not our people. And we're just going to actually, she rejected us, but <laughs> then we moved along. But you, you we, she, Rodney made a great post about, uh, about being rejected as well. Well, I mean, there's story, there are definitely stories to share because one, one of the challenges was when you, when you would approach your publisher and you'd be like, listen, um, you know, we've got this book, but we want this book to be in every single like box store outlet everywhere in the world. We want people to share it. The challenge with the publisher was, well, everything that that box store is selling, you're telling people in that book to watch out for and to be cautious. Mm -hmm. How on earth do you expect them to even want to do that? Yeah. And then lo and behold, now there's like the biggest box stores in the world, which is kind, are, are pre-selling our book at the moment. Which is kind of amazing. If you think about it, we're saying don't buy crappy food from crappy stores and don't buy crappy cleaning supplies and don't put crappy pesticides all over your animals. And our book will be right next to all those crappy products. And I, I don't know how it happened, but I'm so thankful the, Well, did. that's the magic about dogs. I would like to think yes. that even, even like the people that are in these box stores, these are people that love dogs. And there's still those people that sit down behind the desks and they work 
And I would like to think in a beautiful world, they want those books to be in there for the greater good. That's yeah. where at least my brain goes to. But yeah, it was really hard, Jay, to convince publishers, we want to build a blueprint about longevity. And one of the challenges that we were facing was, listen, dogs mirror humans when it comes to disease markers. So they're, they're mirrored because they live beside us. So they go through everything that we go through. Unfortunately, because they spend more time at home than we do, right, our homes and a lot of people's homes are toxic in toxic in the ways that if you want to talk about cleaners and air fresheners and like fertilizers on your lawn, this is an endless subject that we could get into. But the long story here is, is that scientists found that dogs and cats carry more of like these thylates, chemicals, industrial chemicals in their bloodstreams than humans do because mm -hmm. humans can leave the home. They can go out. We shower. Work, we shower. We, we do clothes. Stuff. The dog and the cat have to live in that environment their entire lives. Right. So, to go back to to the publisher when we said you know we want to bring all of this stuff forth they were like well if people right now currently don't care if obesity is going up in humans if diseases are going up in humans why on earth or how on earth are you going to convince a pet parent to buy this book and make changes for their dog when they're not going to make changes for themselves mm. and you know what and this is just so true and a harper understood this I said, let me just tell you, as a veterinarian, I will promise you, my clients are so committed. They will do, they will not care for their own bodies because of no time, exhaustion, self-esteem, self-worth, whatever. They're not going to do it for themselves, but they will do anything, anything for their dogs. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that in the core of my soul, that we will oftentimes not treat ourselves with the love and respect that we, that our bodies are craving and that our bodies deserve, but we will do it for something that we love so dearly. And so we say in the book, health oftentimes travels up the leash. And we, as, as a doctor, I have seen this over and over that when people can see the magnificent transformation of their dogs, they can take a dog that is crippled with arthritis and obese and a miserable hair coat with raging allergies and watch the transformation over a year's period of time. And they say, oh my gosh, do you think it's possible for this to happen, like to me and the rest of my family, like, do you think that if I made the same changes that this could come about? It's totally inspiring to see this, animals this is, heal. This, this is so funny because it's like, just like this morning, my agent's got to see this and punch me. I was talking to her this morning. She's like, hey, man, I just read the book and went and got some lion's You're right. mane. She's like, <laughs> she I went and got some lion's mane for my dog. My dog is doing so much more yes. incredible. There's like some neuro issues. You know, we had published some studies in the book to show that, you know, lion's mane mushroom can regrow the like myelin sheath. It's it's just incredible for the brain. It clears up cognitive decline. It's, I mean, it does all these amazing things. But then she says, gosh, I wonder if I should start taking it for myself because I was just, I just, I just gave it to my dog. My dog, it's been a couple of weeks. My dog is doing phenomenal. I think I should take it for myself. Yes. And that was, there's the impact. There lies the impact, as Dr. Karen Becker said. When we went back and started speaking with these publishers, we were like, you're not going to just learn about your dog. You're going to learn about yourself because these longevity scientists are human scientists. But because they test on dogs in some of these places, or, or they test on their own dogs in some of these places, this transition is not hard, the transitional model, because when you test on a dog and you get a positive effect, like in a study where let's say they use sulforaphane um, from broccoli and into, into dogs and they see unbelievable benefits like apoptosis, pre-programmed cell death, and then they got to turn around and translate it into the human world, but they're going to get attacked, right? They're going to say, well, you did that study on dogs. You can't say this. You're going to get the same effect you can in humans. But 
with us. Yeah. We're right at A. We don't need to, we don't need to say A plus B equals C. We'll just yeah. say A equals A and it is what it is. So it, it, yeah, Jay, it's exciting. It's, and then to see the publishers pick it up and then to see something unbelievable, which is what they said, to see eight different languages that this book is going to be written in. Publishers all over the world were sending yeah. us beautiful, beautiful letters that said, Hey man, you know, we love our dogs. We've been, you know, we've been implementing a lot of these things that we see on your website and it, it's just created such change and impact for us. Mm. It just got picked up all over the world. And yeah, we're, we're, mm. we're so excited. To be honest, like, I don't, I don't think there is a better publisher that could have published this book than Harper. I think it's a perfect match. Um, and you know, who cares about the other publishers? I mean, like right. they're right. lots. Dogs. The day, yeah. Right? Dog, yeah. And they're all dogs lover. JG, like the head yeah. of Harper, the biggest yeah. dog lover, the, the, the senior marketing vice president or whatever yeah. his title is, a the beautiful entire, man. The Brian, entire organization, dogs, crazy dog Everybody's lovers. sending each yes. other pictures back and forth of yeah. their dogs. It's all we've talked about is dogs. So it's like, what an incredible publisher. And they're just all dog lovers which is awesome yeah you had that video on your website which people can go and check out of you guys actually and then and then you have the head of um harper as well saying how much they love dogs which is just even more affirming like you guys were meant to be published by harper yeah. it was meant to happen yeah. so yeah. anyway i want to get into some more specific scientific questions if that's okay because i feel like mm -hmm. it might be very helpful for my audience and people that mm -hmm. in, in your space as well so your book's titled Forever Dog. I think everyone wants their dog to live forever. And my my curiosity around this is why is it that some dogs live longer than other dogs? Is it more or less like even if you do the right thing, right? So you can give them the right foods, you get put them in a, a warm and loving environment, you take them out, you do all that sort of stuff that you feel like is going to make them live longer. Is it more or less just the DNA and yeah, why, why is that the case for some and not others? Yeah. Well, two factors going on. There are genetic deletions, Jay, because of humans breeding, you know, 500 years ago, a thousand years ago, dogs could choose what dog they wanted to breed with. There was some, there was some self-choice involved. Yeah. Four to 500 years ago, kind of the Victorian era, when a lot of different dog breeds were were intentionally created, humans just decided that we wanted, you know, short dogs, short legged dogs with a certain hair coat and bright blue eyes or no hair or certain bone structure. So humans started creating a lot of different breeds. And we did so without any genetic testing to determine if it was a wise idea, if the gene pool was getting better and more expansive, or if indeed we were just plain eliminating genes. And we have what's happened now, a massive genetic roadblock because we ha we're just have dogs that are missing genes. And if dogs are born missing the gene for a healthy heart, they're going to die of heart failure, period. And that's enough for people to stop and say, you know what, that scares me about purebred dogs. Here's the amazing thing. We interviewed amazing geneticists from around the world that are intentionally looking at what genes are deleted in certain breeds and then reinserting them, outcrossing and doing amazing genetic research to be able to do reparative breeding to fix some of these deletions. But at the same time, that's a very small percentage of what's going on. And I think that oftentimes we tend to blame genetic deletions when really what's happening is epigenetic triggers. That's 90% of it. So yes, genetics, maybe 10%. And that is, we need to acknowledge that we need to not 
try and sweep that under the rug, that is a problem. It, that's hard though. Like, and I don't want to, sorry, I yeah. don't want to cut you off on that. It's as a pet parent, there's nothing more frustrating, Jay, that when you bring that puppy home on day number one and you're missing a subset of genes, yes. Dalmatians, Dalmatians are your greatest example. You don't see a lot of Dalmatians around, right? They, there's a lot of Dalmatians out there that are missing the gene to break down protein properly. Then you got to turn around as a pet parent and put them on specialized diets because they just didn't get the gene, yeah, right? So yeah. <laughs> there's so many questions and yeah. we have that in the book as well, which is really important. Questions that you should ask your, you know, if you're going to go to a breeder, you go to a shelter, of course, and you're going to get a dog from a shelter. You, you have those genes that you're dealt with, but there are things that you can do, of course, yeah. um, in the book that we talk about. But to go back to breeding, as Dr. Karen Becker said, I don't know if you've ever noticed some of those posts that float around on social media that will show you like pug of like the 1800s and then the pug of today. And you're like, what yeah. on earth am I looking at? Or like the bull, what happened, the bulldog, right? <laughs> yeah. The Washington yeah. Post the posted. The German Shepherd. The German yes. Shepherd, the back. The Washington oh. Post posted that the bulldog has been so damaged with genetic breeding. They don't think they can fix it, right? The lifespan of the bulldog, according to some experts, has gone down to anywhere between six and a half to seven years that you can get out of a, you know, out of the lifespan of a bulldog because of such terrible breeding. Yeah. And there's a lot of inbreeding, brother with sister. There's a lot of puppy mills in the area where brother and sister. And so it's that's is one, as Dr. Karen Becker said, that's a really big aspect. It's huge. But still, that entire heartbreaking mess of gen genetic deletions that humans did, human damaged dogs, that accounts for 10% of our heartbreak. But the other 90% are epigenetic triggers that actually we as guardians are in control of. It's the food that we feed. The epigen, you know, are the food speaks to our dog's genomes and food can up and down regulate genes that are present that are either waiting to be turned on or waiting to be turned off. Food impacts that. Chemical exposure impacts that. There are things in our environment that impact that. And that's the piece that I think most guardians, veterinarians, pet parents fail to realize is just how much responsibility rests in our hands as veterinarians and guardians to do what we can to downregulate those epigenetic triggers by modulating our beloved's environment in a way that allows their bodies to maximize their innate genetic potential while suppressing any genes that we really don't want expressed. And that just comes down to wise lifestyle choices. But then the question is, what does that mean? What does wise lifestyle choices mean? It means really evaluating everything that you put into your dog and the environment that your dog lives in from the ground up, including emotional stressors, including how happy is your dog, including how many friends does your dog have, including how often does your dog get to make his own choices? How often does your dog get to say, I want to turn right when I'm walking, not left. I want to stop and smell right here. Uh, we oftentimes, you know, we control so we control everything about our dogs, and then we wonder why they're not wildly happy or healthy. So those are tough conversations that we have in the book. This is interesting for me, especially because, you know, I think I like how you mentioned uh, giving your dog choice, <laughs> because my dog will just do it regardless if I gave her a choice. Anyway, <laughs> like, if, well, if and, and <laughs> trainers get really angry. We're not <laughs> suggesting that you, that you grow little wildebeest in your house and have totally untrained beasties. We're not suggesting that, but we do believe just like well-trained children 
that, you know, after, you know, after you teach your children to say please and thank you, that you do allow your child to express their own opinions and desires and thoughts and wishes. And that that's a part of healthy communication is respectfully learning about the creatures that you love. And that has to include our animals. Now, when we flew to, uh, to see Dr. Alexandra Horowitz from Barnard in their cognition lab, she would always tell us the importance of snafaris, letting the dog go out, letting the dog make some choices, right? How many, how many of us look at your watch? You're like, Oh damn it. I got like 10 minutes. I got to walk the dog around poop, the neighborhood as poop quick as right I can. Now, please you're, poop. You're, you got the dog out. Dog's poop on demand. Like, what is that? Yeah, right. Dog's like, what is that awesome smell? I want to smell it. And the owner's like, no, come on. We got to walk, right? It's And to us as the owner, you know, we make that choice. We're like, no, you got to walk around the block and you got to do it in 10 minutes. And that's your walk where the dog may be like, hey, how about I just enjoy some of these awesome scents that I smell around the home? I feel like dogs have come up and peed all over the telephone poles. <laughs> I enjoy this snafari. So let me have a day for myself where I can get some scents and some smells. And so those are the things that, um, we, you know, when we were speaking with Dr. Alexander Horowitz that she highlighted that dogs should have snafaris. They should have days where they can go out and sniff, enjoy the world uh, and give the dog the choice. Yeah, like Dr. Karen Becker said, if the dog says today, hey, do you mind if we go left and go explore this way? Have a go left day. Here's the amazing thing, right? With my dog, especially, we, we tried training her. She rebelled, but she's, <laughs> she's not... She's not like this unruly child. She listens to us, not the trainer, to us. She knows our voice. And it was interesting because in the very beginning, she wasn't like that, obviously, but she learned over time. She's very, I think she's got a small head, big brain. She's very, very intelligent. And it, it just, it shocks me. Like I, I say sometimes that she's very much like a human. She'll sit like a human. She'll have moments where you think you're a dog, you're not a human, but like she'll act like one. So it always amazes me how, you know, but I think it also goes down to, for me in particular, the way I wanted to raise her, the way I tried to raise her was giving that that autonomy for her because I noticed certain patterns that were very similar to our old dog, uh, the one that we put down in January, which was interesting to me. So it was just, I... I felt it. I felt that connection. So I'm like, okay, I want to see where this goes. Mm -hmm. And it surprised me. Sure. I had like a couple of scratches on me, but I can live with that. But for the most part, she was very much obedient or later on in life, yeah. um, which kind of speaks to what you were saying, the, the autonomy, giving the dog that. Um, but I think, yeah, a lot of parents, they just sort of, I'm going to take this dog to a, a trainer. It's going to be damn trained. It's not going to attack anyone, you know, like all that stuff. So, yeah. Well, and it's a little bit like raising our kids, you know, we can drop them off at boarding school and, and make sure that they come out resp acting respectable, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're wildly happy. And it doesn't mean that you have an amazing relationship. Relationships take effort and time to intentionally create, build and maintain. And one of the points we bring up in the book regularly is, you know, our, our dogs would very much like to have a meaningful relationship with us mm. as humans, especially busy humans. I think sometimes we focus on, I don't want to say we focus on control, but you know, we, we have scheduled breakfast and then we do this and then we do this and then they go in their crate and we go to work and then we come home and then we do this and then that's our day. And that's, that's good. Mm. 
But what can we do to really build a meaningful relationship with our dog where they are getting, they're living their best life and in turn helping us live our best lives? That's a different thought process. Yeah, well, and them having friends as well. Like that, that seems crazy to a lot of people when you're like, hey, how many friends does your dog have, right? <laughs> well, we were talking to behaviorists. It makes a lot of sense if you put it in context to blue zones, some of the longest lived people in the world. You know, and I'm sure you've heard this from many of the experts that you've interviewed, right, that a rich social life has such a huge impact on life extension. And so why would it not translate for dogs as well? Like, you know, dogs in packs, dogs that meet other dogs. Very fascinating study when we were talking to one of the researchers in places like South America, where dogs are free to roam, stray dogs. Researchers would find when they did a study, when they would capture those dogs and they would bring them to sort of shelters and they would put them inside of homes, that those dogs' temperaments not only changed and they started showing signs of depression, but it actually shortened their lifespan. They just shut down. They just shut down, right? They would rather be out free with their friends roaming in, in, through. In high risk, like and, disease, of course, starvation, of course. I mean, massive risk. But they had a, if you think about it, they yeah. had a rich social life at that point. And of course, let me let me say this, no one, nobody wants to see stray animals right. and stray dogs. Right. But it was a fascinating study nonetheless when it comes to having a rich social life, like stripping an animal out of a pack and then taking them to from pack A to pack B. So that being said, for a lot of people out there, they don't think their dogs need friends. And I, I'm not going to jump in and say, you know, whether you're your dog's best friend and that's it, because, you know, having that discussion with an introvert might not be the greatest thing in the world. But some people that I've talked to say, I'm my dog's best friend and he can't have any other friends. And, that's and it's cool. just me and him. That's cool. But then what I would say is then just make sure you're being a really kick ass friend. Like yeah. you, if you're saying, you know what, I'm not going to give my dog friends. No problem. You better be an amazing lifetime friend, like fulfill all like that. Means you're going to plan their social hour. You're going to plan exercise time. You're going to plan safaris. You're going to be you're going to be that girl or you're going to be that dog. Like You're going to do it and do it really well. Yeah, I think that's very, very important um, for my dog in particular. We tried to, to get her friends, but she I don't think she's very protective let's just say that like she does doesn't want yeah. any other dog or animal especially cats she hates cats yeah. sorry if, if you're a yeah. cat lover out there yeah. um my goodness like don't don't even get me started with the amount of time she's gone for a cat yeah. <laughs> um well and and honestly dogs are a lot like people there are people that like listen I don't want to I don't want a bunch of friends around me I just that's just more work and more it's a pain in my ass and I don't want to do it yeah. and that's we totally get it. But for dogs that do enjoy social environments, that's something fun you could do on the weekends with your dog. You can hike with your dog and you can figure out things that your dog wants to do to move their bodies and smell and ground out and feel fresh air and touch the dirt. Like really important things you can do to dramatically enhance the emotional well-being of your dog. And I think that that's the piece when we were collecting information from a book, that was the piece, honestly, Jay, that we... I don't want to say had minimized, but we were just so focused on the physical science, like you know, that we know are help the scavenger radicals. Like we wanted to talk about the science of anti-aging research. Mm -hmm. Every single one of those anti-aging scientists said, listen, you can't forget the emo. There is a brain body heart connection that you have to acknowledge it, you know? And that's something that I think sometimes we forget as 
animal guardians that they are a different species and have different requirements emotionally than we do. And we need to focus on giving them the opportunity to meet those needs. Yeah, we spent the latter half of, you know, the last few years traveling, sitting down with, you know, cognition experts. Uh, We flew to Italy where we uh, met Dr. Biagio and his team of scientists over there. He had a study that literally broke nature.com's website when they came out with that I believe it was a peer-reviewed paper that showed that dogs can pick up on our emotions. So what was so important about it is if you think about households today, I mean, what's happening now in homes is, according to experts, you know, we're seeing more depression, more anxiety than we've ever seen in our lifetime. Our animals live within that energy, right? So if you are with, if that animal is put into a home where there's terrible energy, in that home or just um, just profound stress profound Everyone's stress right? Cortisol, right the study the study from the, those italian scientists found that you know your dog when you are stressed and you are producing chemo signals right and those chemo signals are floating into the air they're and they're just a great layman explanation it's like all of your emotions and uh, bundled in like into this small like chemical chemo signal that flows through the air that your dog not only smells Mm -hmm. they pick up on it instantly and then those researchers show that if you start putting out chemo signals of stress it took seconds seconds for those dogs to smell those chemo signals when they were exposed to it and then all of a sudden they start chucking out cortisol their stress levels go up their heart rate starts to go up and then they live in that bubble of stress And I know the Italians, man, they're doing a lot of stress studies on there that are so fascinating. One of the ones that's a little bit edgy, it's an edgy science, but they're able to show that some of these dogs that have been impacted by a lot of stress in the households have actually developed tumors from that amount of stress in in that household. So uh, to go back to what Dr. Karen Becker said, the emotional aspect is so profound that not, not a lot of people think about it. And, you know, when your pet is subjected to that, whether you go through a breakup with your boyfriend or a breakup with your girlfriend and your life is over and your dog is sleeping right beside you and you are feeling like shit, pardon my French, sorry, for like weeks and weeks on end, that dog is a sponge. They are absorbing all of that you're going through and they're going through it with you. Yeah. So, so, you know, you mentioned at the beginning, you know, my dog knows when I'm sad, of course she does. And they know when we're angry, upset, frustrated, mad, joy filled, balanced, Mm -hmm. angry dogs are amazing at reading our emotions because they can smell our emotions. And up until Dr. Biagio kind of proving that scientifically, people who have dogs are like, yes, of course, what a stupid waste of money to study it. And yet the non-animal kingdom people are like, Dogs can smell your emotions. Of of course they can. But then for me, as a veterinarian, the weight of our responsibility just got heavier because they're not little robotic. Oh, they're just happy all the time. And, you know, I've had clients say we never, yes, we're going through a divorce. My husband and I are going through a divorce, but we never fight in front of the dog. And I say, if you think for a minute that your dog doesn't know that you're stressed, you may be lying to your kid, two-legged kid, but you're not lying to your four-legged kid. They know exactly what's going on in the home. So everyone's question is, okay, great. What are you saying? How do you keep a happy home all the time? You uh, actually, can't, right? actually, you're talk totally about stressed syn- out. Actually, talk about Lena Roth and synchronicity. Well, you talk about Lena Roth. So, and, and so we we interviewed Dr. Lena Roth from Sweden, and those scientists out there discovered like it was an unbelievable discovery. They found that your dog 
will synchronize their cortisol levels to your your cortisol levels. Your dog will sync up to your stress levels over time. And so these scientists were doing these long-term studies and they found that if a person brings home an animal and they leave a certain level of stress, your dog will sync up to that. That's how much impact you can have on your dog unknowingly. So what when when I've talked to my, my my own personal clients about this, they're like, so what do we do? And you know, for me, it's yet another reason to really check in with myself. Am I grounded? Am I calm? How do I feel? Like this, if you ever needed a reason yeah. to work on yourself, do it for your dog. If you, you know, if you've got some stuff that you need to work out, or if you have always thought, you know what, I've suffered from depression my whole life. I want to, I'm going to go get help. Finally, if you, if you don't believe that you owe it to yourself to feel better, trust me, your dog knows, and your dog would like to like you to feel better. So do it for your dog. And in turn, it also has made me since I, since I interviewed Dr. Biagio, it has made me be much more in check with the uh, the barometer of the well-being of the home. And I just keep it like my top priority to keep my home in a place of really good, not to say you never have a bad day, but do everything I can to keep management, to keep check of a really good energetic balance in the home and of myself, you know, keep myself in, I'm not saying never get pissy, but if you need, if you're angry, go for a run, do things to positively shift your emotional state, meditate, pray, do yoga, do go to a self-help group, do something to shift your perspective, not only to improve the stress on your own body, but to, to improve the stress of everything in your home. That's wicking and picking up on that, including all your animals. Yeah. It was pretty eye opening up for us to to see that research. Cause we're like, wow, we knew that everything's connected in the home, of course, but the fact that the research is proving it, that within one second, your dog is not just picking up on your emotions, but also assuming similar emotions. It makes us really want to work on as guardians and good leaders. We want to keep ourselves in check. We want to be responsible for how we're feeling. Our dogs are kind of like the perfect accountability partner. So, yes. Yes. Yeah, and they so never good. tell your secrets, right? No. Like you're totally trustworthy. <laughs> which, yes. which leads me to perfect segue into my other question, which is why is it that dogs can understand us, but we can't sometimes understand them? I'm like, I, I always try and picture how my dog would sound if she could talk and what she would say. So why is that the case? <laughs> if you have an answer for this one. Well, there's, first of all, there's a lot of amazing people. Have you seen those, the play mats where they have trained dogs to use words so their yes. dogs can communicate in that. Keep in mind there again, that's, that's dogs meeting us a hundred percent in our language <laughs> with full mm. sentences. To me, I don't think necessarily that as humans, when we are being raised that we have mentors role modeling the fact that if we worked on communicating with other species, learning um, how to interpret their body language. I think if we were taught more dog growing up, we could speak better dog. I believe if we opened our minds to learning more about how to, how to better communicate with every species on the earth, we would be far better communicators. It's because just like how I can't speak Chinese, I didn't put the effort into learning it. You can put the effort into learning far more dog than you could ever imagine if that's your goal and if that's your focus. I think part of the issue is we expect animals 
to meet us where we're at. And we don't necessarily take steps in learning and forging the trust needed to be able to meet them at a place where we thoroughly understand them. Yeah, well said. Yeah, very well said there. I didn't, I didn't really think of it like that. So you've opened my eyes and my understanding just by saying that. This is a, this is a great conversation. <laughs> I could speak to you both forever, but I, I, I do want to be respectful of your time. So we're going to have to probably leave the other questions that I do have for you for a part two when we get to actually be together in person. But your book is called Forever Dog, Surprising New Science to Help Your Canine Companion Live Younger, Healthier and Longer. It's available, I believe, October 12th. Is that correct? Yeah. That's correct. Got it right. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. So people can pre-order the book now. Is that is that right too? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You can pre-order the book now. And I know in different parts of the globe, because I, things are delayed, we always get those questions. I know that in different regions around the world, they like to delay uh, sometimes the publishing date. But uh, in the major metropolitan areas all across North America, October 12th is the go date and you can pre-order now. Fantastic. And where can people connect with you both before I ask the final question? Like, find your work and learn more about you both. The forever dog. Yeah. So we've, we've right now we've kind of computed both of our pages into one mainstream page, which is the forever You can go there. You can see like our recent videos, but of course, Dr. Karen Becker's page on, on Facebook, she's very heavily active and I'm very heavily active over on the planet pause page as well. Uh, but forever dog right now is where you could probably find us to this book is up and, and out into the world. Amazing. So my final question for you both, this is my all time favorite question. I ask everyone at the end, it's a hypothetical one, uh, but I want you both to imagine with me that you've been able to reach the age of 100. And Rodney, I think you might appreciate this question as you're a filmmaker, but your friends and your family have been, have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument. But they've been able to get it all and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? We'll start with Rodney mm. first. Mm. Holy moly. I think if you would ask me this question 20 years from now, it may change. But at this moment, how I feel at this moment is that he never slept and he kept pushing for change and he did everything he could to inspire change because of his dogs. That would be what would be told today. 20 years from now, hopefully it'd be the same story. Yeah. Love it. No, I think that that's from, for the time that I've known you, I think that that's accurate. And I think for me, on my 100th birthday, if my friends and family showed me a video, um, I would hope that they would say that I have lived authentically and with as much love as possible. I My goal is to change the world by loving people into feeling comfortable enough to make better choices for the animals that they're caring for. And I then I want to do that authentically and transparently and with a whole open heart. And I would want to die doing that. Mm. I feel both of those answers and congratulations, honestly, for the amazing work that you are doing. I appreciate it. I love it. And I cannot wait, honestly, to get my hands on this book, to promote it like crazy. It's going up there for sure. I can already tell. Um, and just thank you both so much for everything that you're doing in the world and for coming on the Storybox podcast, part one. 
Thank well, you so much. Well, we're so much. honored and yeah. thank you so much for having us and thank you for allowing us to share our information to your audience. Um, it's always it's always important when, you know, incredible creators like yourself allow, give us uh, a stage in, in, in your yeah. world. So we're very appreciative and thank you, my good man. Yeah. And I love it that you cover a lot of amazing topics, but I'm extra happy that you're touching on dogs. So thanks. really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guests today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the story box. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>